Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Steve Martin's best show ever, and not only, but also. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me in the studio as co-hosts are Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hello. Seth Alcorn. Hello. And Jessica Randazzo. Well, hello. <laughs> and calling in from Seattle, we are happy to have Beth Peterson. Hi there. Hannah Sherman. Hello. And Ben Lawrence. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Great. Just peachy. Good. Happy to hear that. Now, so you all are involved in the organization and the execution of Seattle Sketchfest. Can you tell us about Seattle Sketchfest? Yeah, Sketchfest was started back in 1999 when a uh, uh, solo performer and sketch artist Mike Daisy looked around at all the the at, looked around and saw the sketch comedy scene, and there was not a singular festival to unite everybody. So he gathered the groups that were available of the day and put together a one-night-only local festival hosted by John Keister of local sketch comedy TV show Almost Live fame. And since then, it has grown. We now produce a two-week festival at uh, a theater in the Pike Place Market called uh, the Market Theater. And yeah, we've been going on for almost 20 years now. Ooh, wow. well, that's exciting. It's also wild to me that Mike yeah. Daisy started it. Yeah. When you so is your your show is it is it mostly Seattle acts? Is it a, a mix of Seattle and non-Seattle acts? How is the, what's the kind of the makeup there? Well, for the past few years now, what we've been trying to do is showcase both local and then bring in some out-of-town guests. So our first weekend of the festival, we usually have a, what's called the local showcase. So we try and get as many local groups as we can to to participate. Um, and then the second weekend, it's sort of a mix and we bring in some out of town guests. And then we also have some, some of our, uh, sort of all-star sketch groups from the Seattle area also highlight with the, the out of town guests. So it's kind of a, a combination of both. We put out a call in the, uh, spring for sketch groups to apply to Sketchfest, And we get submissions from all over the place. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, really great groups from Canada. We've brought groups in from Chicago, New York, L.A., um, Michigan. Who knew there was a sketch scene? I was going to say, the capital of sketch comedy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so when you, when you have these groups that apply, what are you looking for in their applications? Is there something specific? Do you like a cohesive show? Do you like a variety show? And he's asking for a friend. Well, yeah, right. No, I'm just... <laughs> That's really interesting because, you know, what, that was one of the things that um, I just recently started uh, taking over as the acting director because we've had this big transition recently. Um, Sketchfest used to, used to be sort of independent and now we're joining forces with Unexpected Productions, which is a, a big uh, conglomeration. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but a festival of its own. Uh, at the Pike Place Market, and they do a lot of improv, but they are recently wanting to have an umbrella or a an arm, an umbrella arm, maybe. <laughs> there you go. Umbrella yeah, that arm? works. Yeah, Is that sure. A thing? Uh, with sketch, because they're starting to do more sketch, and they brought us in, and so we're we're doing a transition right now where we're kind of figuring out how we fit in. 
Uh, but so that's one of the first things I said was like, you know, what do we want to look for in groups when we bring them in? And uh, we kind of made a list of, you know, what do we want to see? And one of the big criteria, I think, was to bring in things that we don't usually see in the, the type of scene that's happening in Seattle. We wanted to bring in local flavor from other cities. So, you know, what's something that's happening in, say, uh, New York or Chicago or D.C. or um, oh no uh-huh. D.C. You or, say. You know, something that oh what's the scene like there yeah. and you know for me I I teach theater and one of the classes that I teach is a sketch improv class and uh, for me it's always about the education and communication and collaboration and so one of the the goals I have as being um, acting director is the idea of you know making it a global society, sure. you know, that we are all communicating and talking to each other and that we all sort of uh, learn from each other. And so I was really excited with um, Unexpected Productions idea of expanding the education program. And so that's one of the things that I hope that we get to uh, eventually is that when we're bringing in out-of-town groups, that we're also having them put on workshops and um, collaborate with our local groups so that you know we're all learning from each other. One of the things that's happened is that uh, the disciplines of sketch and improv and stand-up tend to be compartmentalized yes. within a scene. Yes, very much so. Same here. Right. Yeah. So in joining with an organization that focuses primarily on improv, we're bringing sketch into the fold. And so it's, it is a marriage both, um, you know, literally and figuratively where right. we're, 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 <laughs> we're crossing the lines. We're yeah. crossing the streams. We're we're we're, we're yeah. making you know making making all the disciplines accessible and equal in everybody's eyes. Yeah, that's the hope. We're trying. Yeah. Is there anything that you just don't want to see, like that you would never put on a stage, whether it's political content, offensive content? Like, where's where's that line for you all? Um, this is where I shine. Um, <laughs> Hannah's the perfect person to answer this question. Uh, some feelings. <laughs> she does. Um, oh, feelings, not so, again. No. <laughs> Seattle, because, and I think this is the nicest thing we could do for an out-of-town group we're bringing in. Uh, Seattle, absolutely, like, audiences absolutely want nothing to do with, like, any unwoke content mm. uh, or anything that's, like, offensive that's or kind of, like, even if it's, like, political it'll still kind of make audiences uncomfortable because they are so wanting to be doing our best uh and so i think anything like that unless it's really well done and if it's really well done then it's thrilling we had um a group come in last year success 5000 who do musical bits uh and they had a song about how grandma's a racist uh and it killed it Mm -hmm. killed (laughs) Uh, audiences love it, but you have to do it just right. So I think that's the one that's thing true. that it's like, yeah. if we're looking at a a potential group and they have political content or just kind of borderline offensive content that isn't polished and done in the right way, uh, we kind of maybe try and save them from themselves. And <laughs> don't let them come out here just yet. <laughs> Hannah's very good at that. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, ultimately, the groups that we bring in are a reflection not just of them, but of us. And so we do not want to put that that face out to our audiences who, you know, pay their hard-earned dollar to come see our shows. Right. right. And are you all sketch comedians, improvisers, stand-up comedians yourselves or mostly on the production side? Where does that, where does that fall? I'm a former sketch, uh, uh, sketch improv performance artist. I actually performed at 
regularly at a variety sh- late night variety show called Spin the Bottle for over 15 years with my sketch comedy uh, Paul Goody. And you know, I'm getting old. I'm 42, so <laughs> I'm like, leave this, leave not old. leave all that for yes. uh, for the young kids. I don't have old. the I don't have the energy anymore <laughs> to do that. So we called it a day, but also we did that because uh, Paul moved to St. Louis, and so. Uh, the comedy capital of America. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I'm just here. I'm just helping promote and and uh, help the scene grow. I'm one of the youth who still has energy to do yes. sketch comedy. So <laughs> that is what I'm doing. Yeah, Hannah's in a cup. Are you in more than one? Uh, I am. My, I'm primarily I perform with a group called Villains here in Seattle. Yeah. And I, as I mentioned, I uh, I teach theater at Everett Community College, but I also try and get involved as much as I can. And I was recently a part of a, a sketch group, but my partner just decided to move as well. What is it with people I wanting know. to move out of Seattle? He's, with the fastest growing We have the same problem and in he's D.C. he's moving to Atlanta to become an actor. So. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Maybe oh. we'll see him on the Washington right. State. Maybe. Maybe he's on. Can, well, I, can I just say that I'm, I'm glad to hear that the sketch retirement age is 42. Yeah. I'm, I'm 41. <laughs> so I've well, got about five I'm older months. than Ben. It, which he likes to remind me of constantly. I'm older than Ben, and I <laughs> how rude of you, Ben? That, uh, I'm ready to retire. So it's it depends on the person. Beth, can you introduce our first sketch today? I sure can. Awesome. So um, the the sketch that I picked uh, was uh, Steve Martin. I knew as soon as I was told that I needed to pick a sketch, I knew I would pick something from Steve Martin, because he's been <laughs> probably the most influential person as far as my comedy goes. And the sketch that I picked is called Steve Martin is the Elephant Guy. And um, this is a sketch that was on his special. He had a number of variety specials that he did for NBC that were not Saturday Night Live, but they were Saturday Night Live-esque. They used a lot of the same people from the show, but, and they were also produced by Lauren Michaels. Um, but they were also, I think, a showcase for Steve Martin, who was very popular with his stand-up and his movies, like The Jerk at that time. Um, and I think it was also a promotion for Saturday Night Live and uh, the other guests that Steve would be um, highlighting during his special. But this was uh, the last sketch in this particular variety show. Well, here's a clip. Take your time, trees. I'd like to get better acquainted with your most attractive friend. The E-Man likes what he sees. (laughs) So, uh, the doctor tells me you're an actress. Well, yes, I am performing at the Old Vic. Uh, Do you like the theater, Mr. Merrick? Baby, I am the theater. Perhaps you've heard of the Elephant Man. Well, yes, the doctor told me about your most unfortunate past, and I am sorry, but think of all the wonderful things you will now be able to experience. Ah, yes. (laughs) I think now we're talking the same language. I beg your pardon. Come on, baby. We're not living in the Middle Ages. These are Victorian times. (laughs) Now, Beth, uh, you talked a little bit about it, but why did you bring that sketch for us today? Uh, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, when I was in high school, I remember going to uh, New York for the first time. 
And one of the plays that we saw was The Elephant Man on Broadway. And that was such an exciting experience for me. And also, when I was uh, in high school, Steve Martin was, was huge. And so the whole idea of this blending of styles, this is the first time I ever realized that humor could have that sort of juxtaposition where you take something that you already know that's familiar and then you place something else equally as familiar that doesn't fit and put it in and the the humor that comes from it. Um, That's my absolute favorite type of humor. And I realize now, like looking back, so much of the, the the writing that I do is is based on this style of writing. Uh, and watching it again, um, the the format is just so perfectly structured around the um, Elephant Man play itself. Um, and there's something about, you know, you have to have a certain amount of prior knowledge to to get all the jokes. And so there's something about that, like, needing to be a little bit smart to get the humor that <laughs> that feels really good as an audience member, you know? <laughs> sure, you always, I mean, I know it's a, t- a tenant in writing, but you always want to make your audience feel smart. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, one of the things I love about Steve Martin is that his humor, I mean, even when he's being the wild and crazy guy and the jerk, uh, it, it's so clever. I mean, the absurdity yeah. is just... It's almost poetic. Yeah. His his magic act that he used to do on late night is still one of my one of my go-tos. Anytime I just need a laugh, I'm like, yep, Steve Martin magic time. <laughs> oh yeah. I gotta check that out. Oh yeah. there's uh here, I'll throw this question first to Seth, but I want you guys to jump in afterwards. Is Steve Martin playing a character is he really playing John Merrick or is he just being Steve Martin? In the Elephant Man. I think he's being the wild and crazy guy. So he's not being Steve. He's mm-hmm. being a character that Steve plays, mm-hmm. but he's replacing the John Merrick character. Um, it actually reminds me of a bit that he did in, in his stand-up back in the day, which was uh, the Vegas Lounge Singer, mm-hmm. where he'd just go through like two minutes uh parodying an imaginary Vegas act where the guy was just like, well, the hills are alive with the sound. Of oh, yeah. I just oh, was right. listening Sammy to Davis that. Sammy Davis Jr., a close personal friend of mine. Yeah, like, I was just yeah. listening to that. Yeah. It's it's Steve Martin playing a character who's playing a character. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's one of the things I love about Steve Martin. I, in this sketch in particular, and especially a lot of that stuff when he was like in the jerk in that kind of late 70s, early 80s stuff he was doing. It's almost like, it's not quite ironic detachment from what he's doing. It's not quite that like postmodern, but it is this kind of, he's like being funny. I don't know. That's not, that's a terrible way to describe it because of course he's being funny. Um, But he's like acting like he's trying to be funny. I don't know. I'm not articulating Uh this well, but. Well, it's interesting because I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is like nothing I've never seen before. And just being so attracted to the humor because it was like so silly. But I look at it now and I think he was doing absurdist theater. Yeah. And yeah. it makes sense if you look at his history. I mean, he was. He's playing a clown. He's a yeah. really smart dude, but he's playing a clown. Right, exactly. And he, he was a theater major. And, you know, you look at his um, track record now. He's done so much theater. 
So he was taking his his knowledge and his uh, expertise and putting it into a comedy routine. And I think that was probably something that I don't know if other people were doing at the time, but I, you definitely see it happening now. I think Robin Williams was also very similar when he would do his humor. He uh, was also trained at Juilliard. And you know, you, when you get that theater training, you have that background of, of either the um, the commedia with the different stock characters of the the clowns, um, yeah. or even going further back to like uh, Greek drama or Greek um, tragedy, uh, yeah, or, or comedy, Greek, comedy, yeah, Greek comedy, right? Yeah. With the satyr plays having that sort of extreme clown type figure, and he cut his teeth. Uh, at Knott's Berry Farm. I know, was, I know. Yeah. In the magic but, shop, right? In the, uh, yeah. He also, I think he also did some of the shows, too. I remember seeing a picture of him dressed mm-hmm. up in Western garb. But sorry, for those of you not familiar, Knott's Berry Farm is essentially, it's a, it's a theme park. It's an amusement park um, that is, I think, unfortunately for itself, located about mm, 15 minutes away from yeah. Disneyland. <laughs> uh, is it yeah. still there? Yeah, do they still have it? Yeah, it's. Oh, it's, it's still, still there. there. Oh, yeah, it's still there. I mean, they they do the big not scary farm thing every October, so they're they're still making money that way. Because I remember as a kid, we would go to Disneyland one day, and then we would go to Knott's Berry Farm the next day. But this was yeah. not. This is when the days where Disneyland wasn't what it was like now, where you know it yeah. was it's something you could do in a day. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was going to say, but like, even so, you still probably want to do that in the reverse order. You want to get yeah, exactly. first and then go to Disneyland. The biggest thing about it was the the log ride. Yeah. Now, Jess, in this sketch, can you talk about um, how our expectations are being subverted? A couple of times, I feel like we're set up to think one thing and then another thing ends up happening. Well, definitely the first time when they take off the hood um, yeah. for the elephant man, because everybody knows the elephant man and and America's a disfigured man, and you know, and then he takes it off, and there's these two huge elephant ears, and this, and this, uh, uh, very silly looking but accurate <laughs> to scale trunk. Uh, so he looks like an actual elephant, and um, and just you know, Dan Aykroyd's character talking about how you know, does does my gaze offend you that I'm staring at your hideous? <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and he's like, no, nah, I'm the elephant guy, man. I'm like, and he's like, okay with it. He's, he's not, so into it. They're not, he's yeah. not just okay with it. He he's is into it. It's his brand. Guy. Yeah, he's not like shrinking from the light and don't look at me, I'm hideous. Like he's, he's just flaunting, you know, like walking around cock of the walk kind of a thing. So uh, that was really great. And then um, when the actress is introduced to him and he walks in with his, was like a smoking jacket on basically. And his, his, um, uh, snifter, snifter of, of, oh, that's literally. right. Some sort yeah. of cavassier like, or something. Oh. Well, and he just, is, he is drinking the whiskey out of the elephant nose. With the trunk, just kind of, and, and just, you know, she's, she's not repulsed by him because of his, visage or anything she's repulsed by by his actions that was my favorite part of that that she didn't react negatively to his appearance but to his boorish behavior because i I was thought i was so set up for it to be (laughs) for her to do it's like to react negatively but when it's just him like kind of like 
you're an asshole. He's exactly. Just, he's just Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. At the risk of making myself sound stupid, was that was that Vanessa Redgrave in there? Or is um, I... Anne Anne Redgrave? There's a note in in the notes that Beth sent over that says uh, Lynn Redgrave. Lynn. A Redgrave. Oh. Okay, a. so Redgrave. I, I was at least that close. <laughs> to you all, how is this a commentary on showbiz? Does anybody want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's a lot of self-referential things about show business in it, which uh, kind of the same way in um, Shakespeare in Love, the way they take the the setup of Shakespeare writing in um, Elizabethan times and use that as a way for script writing in Hollywood. They do the same thing with this and um, talk about stand-up during that time, because, uh, you know, Steve Martin says something about, oh, you, you didn't like my act? Which show did you see? Uh, I was yeah. trying out some new stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, and there was a, a, a lot of that type of self-referential things that were happening. Um, but the other thing, too, is like, you know, the, the ending is kind of a reverse of what actually happens in the, the play itself, where... You know, they they he goes back to the circus and he wants to perform again, um, and and it's kind of like a commentary on what we as performers do, you know, and how we kind of put ourselves through this torture just because we want to be seen, and you know, it's sort of talking a little bit about us as performers. And Hannah was having some really interesting. We were having a little bit of a talk prior to the started this about, you know, uh, what it was saying about people with disabilities. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Mm, interesting. Uh, I came into it like ready to cringe a little bit. <laughs> okay. Why did you come into it ready to cringe? Well, no, just because like sometimes I feel like a little bit like the older the comedy is, like the more likely you're like, ooh, is it going to hold up? Yeah. And I think it kind of does. It was kind of interesting because it totally puts it like the shoe on the other foot and it totally, it forces the viewer to come out of that mindset because it's totally like the elephant guy being like, no, nah, I'm, I'm pretty into myself. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good. He's uh, extremely think, like, into himself. Yeah. And uh -huh. as like a viewer, like you're, you see the, you know, the well-intentioned, like, let me get you out of this life. And he's like, eh, I kind of want to go back to that life. Yeah. Um, so it, it totally turns it around. I don't need the savior. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think you, I like, I think I went into it being like on the team of like, Oh, thank goodness we're saving this for, this poor elephant guy from, you know, his cage. And he's like, uh, no, I love the showbiz. I'm going back. <laughs> I think it's also the way I look at it in this relation to show business is that the elephant man is this, like, in quotes, horribly disfigured person. And even though he's cool with that, I think it's a commentary on how show business and society in general puts so much pressure on one's looks. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And even it might even be uh, with his prosthetics it might even be commentary on like the lengths people would go for uh to enhance their looks with plastic oh, right. surgery and in oh. in the end it ended up not being any of that it's his personality <laughs> that makes him bored. <laughs> that's great that's brilliant yeah i like that a lot thanks for giving that's me that's what i've always found oh, to be true about men most of good the time <laughs> now do you um does anybody where do people feel this sketch might live in Steve Martin's mind in consideration with how then he went on to do Roxanne? Like, what is it with Steve and prosthetics? Oh, that's a really good point. What's happening here? Oh, that's a really good point. See previous comments. Because uh, he, he, maybe he got ideas for Roxanne while he was wearing the prosthetic nose. 
But it's also, I mean, again, it's the same thing where uh, in in that in Roxanne, it's he's he's so like outwardly self-conscious, but inwardly very confident Mm -hmm. about himself. And and I think that also speaks to how how once you once you let that inner confidence go, Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter what you look like. And with Roxanne, it's the same thing as with this particular sketch, where you take that classic format, and with Roxanne, it's Cyrano Bergerac, and he does such a brilliant job of modernizing and updating the material. Like, I remember watching that when they had the sword fight with the tennis rackets. I thought that was just such a brilliant way to take the classic material and make it contemporary and modern. Um, And it, it worked. And and that's one of the things that I think has been so influential to me about Steve Martin was that he has this way of being so eclectic, blending the the classic style with with something that was modern. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. That's my favorite type of comedy when you're taking something that's referential and that you have to know the source material. Right. And um, but not necessarily, because I think people still enjoy that scene. But if you know the fight scene at the beginning of Cyrano de Bergerac, and you know the scene in Cyrano wh- where Cyrano makes all of those um, jokes about his nose, yeah. uh, it's doubly funny because you have that sort of sense of, I'm getting the joke on all right. the multiple different layers. But it also works because you don't have to know yeah. that source material. You yeah. still get it. It's still funny. Yeah, yeah. And that's the brilliance of Steve Martin. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. Bringing us our second sketch today, it's Jess. Hi, guys. It's Jess. Let's chip her now. Come on. The, the coffee's kicked in. So the sketch that I brought uh, was uh, is Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. It's called um, Pete and Dud at the Art Gallery. And it's from the show um, in the 60s on the BBC in England, uh, Not Only But Also, which was a television show that Dudley Moore had. And he was offered by the BBC. And then he brought Peter Cook in because they were already uh, writing and comedy performing partners from um, Beyond the Fringe, which uh, Sketch Nerds has discussed in the past. Uh, and it's two working-class fellows from Dagenham uh, in East London, where Moore was actually from. And uh, they're having their lunch break at the art gallery, at the National Art Gallery in London. And here's a clip. Now, the thing what makes you know that Vernon Ward is a good painter, if you look at his ducks, have you ever looked at his ducks? Yeah. If you look at his ducks, you see the eyes follow you around the room. <laughs> you notice that? Yeah. If you see 16 of his ducks, you see 32 little eyes following you around the room. No, you only see 16 because they're flying sideways and you can't see the other eye on the other side. No, but you get the impression, Dad, that the other eye is craning around the beak to look at you, don't you? <laughs> That's a sign of a good painting, Dad. If the eyes follow you around the room, it's a good painting. If they don't, it isn't. Yeah. All right, Jess, why did you bring us that sketch today? Because it's funny. 
Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Well, I, <laughs> I first, I feel like sometimes I'm like the, his, uh, a, well, I am a historian um, by studious nature, I suppose. But I feel like whenever I think about sketches that are important to me or that I find funny, I, I see them as, uh, I, I give a lot of their humor or I find a lot of their humor, I give it more importance because of what it meant to the world of comedy, I guess, and how it helped influence and, and bring things uh, forward. And um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, of course, with Beyond the Fringe, and then from all of that kind of begat Monty Python and all of this kind of stuff. So um, for me, this, uh, this sketch, I first actually listened to my grandfather, who is British, that whole side of the family is. Um, <laughs> I'm so fortunate. Uh, but they, uh, Your he, mother is British My mother well. is British. Well, I, that whole side of the family is what I mean that. Um, and, uh, but my grandfather put it on a cassette tape for me when I was like 12 and I didn't know anything, but I knew that this was funny. Like this, this was funny to me <laughs> just listening to it as a 12 year old and not even seeing them you know, trying to, you know, crack each other up or, you know, pull it back or, or any of the visual gags that they, that they have. And I listened to it just like over and over again. And so I really love, uh, just these two working class guys talking s just not with reverence, but what is the opposite of reverence? Is it irreverence? Well, is talking critically, <laughs> talking least. critically, yeah. but also just, they don't care. They, they, they're speaking about this art on the same level as they would, you know, uh, about the sandwich that they're eating or the the football match that they watched yesterday. You know, I mean there's there's no it's 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 this beautiful renaissance art that they're looking at and all this uh internationally lauded beautiful pieces of art and they're just kind of a, you know like the bloody mona lisa and this that and the other. Um and just the way that they speak of it. I just it's it's funny. And uh Beth, I'm interested especially as an academic in your opinion, not, no, I've. Uh, oh, uh, well, <laughs> I this, don't know why this. I teach theater. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know about this rubbish. It's not nothing. Um, I'm, I'm not, the one who studied art history, Andy. Uh, <laughs> me too. So, this sketch to me kind of blurred the line between sketch and really more almost stand up or a double act. Where do you see this as falling in the context of like, it, what what category would you put this in? And that's interesting because we were watching it before the we uh, started the podcast and we were all kind of talking about that. And Hannah, you had a really good point about this. Yeah, I mean, I just thought based on, because it's I feel like it's so long um, yes. mm -hmm. by most standards that, I mean, by like our modern standards for a sketch right. that I'm like, this is almost like an entire scene to me. But I think yeah. like looking back at like the, timing of when this was created, I think it was more of maybe them needing to bridge a gap between like a short form comedy and the theater that people were used to, um, that people weren't necessarily ready for like a five minute beat, beat hit kind of like fast paced deal. They, they kind of ease people into it more. And I think from that perspective, it was kind of, it was very smart that they're meeting people at a meeting people where they're at with knowing what they are used to seeing and then kind of subverting that format from there. Yeah, and I agree. I think it does kind of play a little bit like a piece of absurdist theater again. Uh, what year was this? Do you remember? Uh, 60, I think it's like 62, 64 that the show began. Okay. So it's between like 60, 
I, I would say it was between 62 and 64 that this this clip actually took it's place. still very much bridging the gap between vaudeville and right. sketch comedy and so yeah when we look at it through the modern lens you we, we it just seems like at 10 minutes extremely long and there's hardly any movement it's just the right. camera the camera yeah. cuts back and forth between the two of them talking and it's yeah you totally can see this uh, on a stage in an old theater just and one of the things we were wondering about is if it was scripted or if they were creating the dialogue in the moment because it seems like you can they were it's off yeah. the cup at yeah. times it seems you can see that they what they would do is the two of them would sit down uh uh and improvise kind of riff off each other with a tape recorder uh, one of those big two-wheel jobs, you know, from <laughs> right, the 60s yes. and 70s. And they would just kind of riff with each other and just, which is kind of what they did. Um, uh, if you look at anything in Peter Cook's life, I think Peter Cook kind of spoke only, to, like his conversational style to people was just kind of talking in bits anyways, and most people couldn't keep up with him. Um, but the two of them would just riff off of each other and, and bounce things off and see what worked and then create sketches from that. And Peter was the one who mostly roughed it out or, or fine-tuned it, I suppose. And then um, they would memorize it and have cue oh. cards, but then they would also, there you can see parts that kind of um, go off a little bit, like with the sandwich. And well, then, they're definitely, definitely trying to make each other laugh, too. Yeah, which is fun, yeah. which is, I you, that's kind of, you can see the joy of them performing together. I was reminded of Harvey Corman and Tim Conway, and they would, it, it's yeah. very much in the same vein. They had a script, but they would, try exhaustively to make each other laugh and crack up, especially when they were on the Carol And it would show. always be Harvey Corman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The dentist. Yeah, I the think dentist he loses it genius. three or four yeah. times. The dentist one, yeah. That's gotcha. But yeah. Tim Conway would never break. No. Really the height <laughs> differentials there as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Peter Cook, like he he would very rarely break. And I don't, as a performer, I don't know how you do that because I'm somebody who enjoys, I think, find myself enjoying the moment as well. Yeah. And, and it's so really it's, terrible it's, being on stage with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> but it's it was very, like the, the sandwich, we were talking about how the sandwich was such a great yes. way to cover. And it was like, anytime you felt yourself laughing, you could yeah. just take a bite. He could just shove more sandwich. Yeah. And then that became a, a yeah. comic thing in and of itself. <laughs> Seth, could you talk about the sandwich a little bit and like why... What you thought, like the why? Why is he eating a sandwich? Like it, it's a silly. It's maybe a silly question, but it seems like a very specific choice. Okay, so uh, he's eating a sandwich, uh, probably because he picked it up in the museum cafe. Right, it's reasonable to expect that they have a sandwich there. Honestly, other than to give them something to do when they break, I'm not entirely sure why they went to the trouble of actually eating the sandwich because that's something you're not supposed to do, especially if it's a two-person sketch. <laughs> There's no way that you can guarantee to have chewed your bite of sandwich and swallowed it quickly enough to respond when you need to respond. Which he doesn't in Which some he cases. Doesn't frequently. <laughs> yeah. So why is he eating the sandwich? He might just that might have been a joke that uh, he was playing on Peter Cook that that ended up back. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he might have just been, well, I'm going to eat this sandwich. Maybe he was hungry. Yeah. Um, well, they were supposed to be there for their lunch. Uh, you right. know, they're meeting each other for lunch in the art gallery. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. So it yeah. might it was just you know a little bit more. I think Dudley was more always wanted to be more of the actor and not just a comedian. So that might have been him trying to be a little method. It also, it also adds <laughs> to the dichotomy of these two being just a couple of, re of regular working joes right. eating their sandwich in an art gallery, mm -hmm. speaking eloquently about the art. Right. 
you've got that great mix of highbrow and lowbrow, that lowbrow appearance and highbrow yeah. discussion. Yes. Yeah. yeah, which is like, so it, basically that's what those two characters do. There's another, um, not only but also sketch in which they go through psychotherapy trying to cure uh, Dud of some nightmares. And it, it doesn't quite work out, but like they're both pretty pretty highfalutin nice. in their in their discussion of uh psychoanalysis and they, they always do. speak with authority but they don't always know exactly what they're talking about too. yeah yeah and what's weird is that peter cook's version of that character actually works okay with other partners or on its own there were a couple of the secret policeman uh secret policeman's balls where he shows up and just starts being this weird character who starts spouting off ridiculous facts and it it, it worked for him it was fine mm-hmm but that that pendulum swing in how they talk about the art is fantastic. Where on the one hand, they'll they, they will say something that sort of aligns with how you think about people generally talking about art, and then they'll say the next thing they say makes it seem that they are they are just kind of two silly guys who just happen to kind of like hanging out in the art museum. Like I I think my favorite joke in this whole thing is when he's talking about how unlikely it is that the gauze the would gauze. land there and right. how many paintings that must be hidden away. It's like, of course there are no paintings <laughs> hidden away. You don't find gauze floating around anymore like you did in the Renaissance time. There's just yeah. less gauze in there. And, and then just like the last minute and a half where it's all about the buttocks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Following you around the room. They follow you like the duck's eyes. <laughs> All right, we talked a little earlier about how this is a longer form sketch and it doesn't really fit with our modern conception of what we expect in a sketch. Is there a way that this would work in a modern kind of three beat and a button uh, structure? I think so. I think um, I, cause, because when you're watching it, you're w when they continue into a new section, I guess as today's audience, you're like, oh, you could have ended you know, you could have drawn it to a close, but now you're starting a new mm. section. You know, when when I was in the bathroom the other day and the Laughing Cavalier was, you know, I thought funny, like all that, that that kind of started a new section and they could have done, they could have taken out parts of this and just had like a bup, bup, bup and closed it down. I, I'm not exactly sure which parts because I enjoy all of them. <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard for me to be impartial here. So <laughs> I, I would try it. In like if in a live show format, I would. I mean, if you can trim the front part of it mm -hmm. and just establish very quickly who these guys are, what they're doing, you could try it as a as a running gag throughout a yeah. show. So you so you have you can still have all of those bits that they do, and they'll track throughout the show. But you break up the time so that it doesn't start to feel long. Mm -hmm. Uh, do audiences have that short of, short of attention span these days? Or is that just something that we as performers and producers put on the audience? We just assume that they can't sit still for 10 minutes walking two people talking. I think the difference might be more that, at least for me, I didn't feel like this in terms of how, at least how, you know, we think about structure, this escalated very well. I didn't feel like it got bigger and bigger. I felt like you kind of start the sketch and then you have... Yeah. seven minutes in the middle of these art jokes that are all very funny, but they're not going anywhere. And I think that is where we start to lose audiences is when yeah. we don't go somewhere. Um, I think they if they could keep your attention if they added a second game that was a physical bit. Mm. That is my, my two cents, is that if they were like <laughs> moving out of the way of a security guard and there was a running gag of like, they have to get up and move 
Oh, that's good. Um, and they had to keep moving benches or keep moving to different galleries and picking up their lunch and packing it and going while they're doing these that's verbal good. bits. I think it that's yeah. how you could maybe keep it physically moving enough to stay interesting. You're raising minutes. the stakes somewhat. And you could ch- yeah. like maybe oh, change yeah. the art styles in different rooms too. Could be a way to... Oh, that would be interesting. A way to just add some level of... I mean, you could either go chronologically or somehow going from like... You know, mm. tapestries to paintings to sculptures, something where the yeah. art becomes more physical as you go along, or maybe that's and I then like performance that. art with oh, oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Do you think that? Um, <laughs> well, actually, that would be really funny. Is if they is like if you play on that bit of the eyes following you, if you have a performance artist who does yeah. actually start following, following them, them around. <laughs> <laughs> or if you could see the eyes, weren't they the butts? Yeah, it was the yeah. butts. Yeah, the yeah, butts yeah. Were following yeah. them around the room. So then just a bunch of butts. Hey, who doesn't like butts? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I think it's I, interesting because I definitely see this as this uh, this sketches like a, it's it's like a pleasant stroll between two friends, you know, I mean who happen to be sitting down in front of these pieces of art, but for me and especially like I said when I watched this when I was 12, like uh, it's something that I could get that was funny then and it's not something that I was reaching for like oh if only they'd done this, if only done that. Just as an audience, uh, I enjoyed it. And I'm I'm wondering, and obviously it's a different time. You know, it, it was set in a different time when absurdist comedy and anti-establishment comedy was starting. So poking fun right. at uh at all of this, like the Leonardo da Vinci cartoon, which, you know, that they talk about, which is the Madonna and Child. And if you go into the art gallery in London. It's in this very dark room. It's like their Mona Lisa. It's in this dark room. There's no like natural light on it. And it's the Madonna and Child illustration of his. So they call it the cartoon. But um, it's... <laughs> Even in art history, they, they, you sometimes hear those drawings referred to as cartoons. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, and all of that is is accessible and funny. And I didn't... And listening to this and, and growing up and, and now listening to it now, for me, I didn't need it to escalate. And, and, and for... <laughs> What I'm trying to say is, like, the joke for them was just to make fun of the establishment, was just to poke fun at, you think Mm -hmm. this is so great, we paid $5 billion for this. Oh, wait, no, it was probably, like, three and eight or whatever they say. You know, it's, like, 50 cents or something, you know, somewhere in between. But um, that it doesn't doesn't really matter. So that's the joke. And and it's in in terms of heightening it, do you think that that's something, just in sketch comedy, um, that is— is now something that will be seen mm. as like, oh, that's what they did in the in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s is heightening the comedy. Is, is that like a style that maybe when we one day we'll look back and think, oh, that was just then. That's how they did sketch comedy then. Or do you think that this is now we are rounding out and becoming better sketch comedians and better comedians, period? Is that a well, thing? I'm of two minds of that because I would like I would like to think that we are doing sketch comedy a good service these days by being better performers and better writers uh but also i would hate to think that sketch comedy has stopped evolving yeah yes and i I think there's probably a a, a, you know somewhere in between where we are because i will say i don't think i don't think comedy escalating is i don't think it's a a new thing i think Mm, that's historically that's i mean like Obviously, the Pythons are doing that, you know. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's any effective comedy, whether it's stand-up, sitcoms, sketch, yeah. improv, all of it, it. It all comes down to escalating and getting bigger. And so I think, you know, as Ben said, I'm sure there's places for us to go. I'm sure we'll look back 
I know I look back on stuff I wrote three or four years ago and I think, oh God, like either this is cringy, I, like, I can't believe I wrote these opinions into something, or it's, it's just like I, it's, exactly, it's I a mean, process and we're all learning. That's all about learning is going through those points where you figured out what doesn't work. All right, and now it's time for the end of the show. Everybody up is, oh, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 I know That's it, mean. Seattle, we're mean. done with you. Beth, <laughs> Hannah, Ben. No, I mean, I, it was a got... great show, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yay, we did that thing. <laughs> we did it. Uh, Beth, Hannah, Ben, is there a, um, a rating system that you guys want to come up with for uh, how we rate our sketches today? I think we were going with Rubber noses. Rubber noses. <laughs> rubber noses. Okay. The number of rubber noses, the, the length. length of rubber noses. Oh, What's length. I like that. Style. Length. 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 Okay. Because, yeah. yeah, I think it has to do with, right, it has to be the length. All right. How about you guys go around your room first, and we'll go around our room for the first sketch, and then we'll do the reverse for the second sketch. Okay. So, the elephant guy, Beth. The length of the the length of the rubber nose. <laughs> well, what's How the long scale? Is this what's the maximum? Nose? Is it better? Yeah, is it better? Hey, to that, be I mean, that's the. Cho- I, am I setting get, the bar? Yeah, you're you're kicking it off. Set the bar. <laughs> I'm gonna say ten inches. Ten inches. Ten inches. <laughs> okay. That seems like a strong endorsement of this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ten inch. Ro- <laughs> Hannah. Uh, I'm gonna say yeah. it's like an eight inch. Oh, that's good. That's a, that's a good. That's uh, a good right. showing. Ben? All right. Well. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm gonna split the difference here and say nine inches okay. for the elephant because I, I, I'm not as 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 uh, enamored with it as Beth is. I think I don't have such a deep connection to it. But yeah, I, I like it. Good. All right, Ek. Um, you know, I have to I have to explain this a little bit. So, <laughs> um, growing up, I thought my dad was hilarious. I thought he was just the funniest <laughs> guy in the world. I did not realize until I started getting really into comedy and I found Steve Martin and started watching all of his stuff oh, no. that my da- all of my dad's bits yeah. were, was stuff that he just stole <laughs> from we me. We all did it in those days. <laughs> and I finally... Drop an album. And I'm like, I like, I know people who say they like, I remember having these really dramatic like encounters with my parents and conversations. I'm like, and that for me is one of those conversations <laughs> I had to have with my dad where I'm like, you lied to me. <laughs> 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 and Aww. so with that story, I mean, you know, however long my dad's nose would be if it grew longer <laughs> every time he lied. Oh, <laughs> hey. That's good. Isn't that clever? A personal. So we need to call your dad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Therapy session over. Therapy yeah. glad yeah. I got, got that out it. there, guys. And thank you for listening. <laughs> I would um I would echo Beth and give this ten inches. I really oh, enjoyed yeah. this. I really enjoyed Steve Martin in this. That's that's because uh, Andy, you were in the sketch. For those of you who don't know, I think that Danny, uh, Andy, <laughs> that uh, Andy acts uh, and looks a little like Dan Aykroyd. So whenever it's a little I worrisome to me, but or, that's fine. Uh, um, no, like young Dan Aykroyd. We're not yeah. talking about Crossroads Dan Aykroyd. We're talking about then Dan wow. Aykroyd. Wow. it's a compliment. It's a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, More like my girl Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in the middle before the B thing. Before the B thing. <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I'm going to go with, um, 8.7. 8 points. Oh, okay. 8.7, 8. Right. I think. Yeah. No, really it's, it's a solid. Significant figures. It's a solid, it's a solid sketch. It's great. And you can't really fault Steve Martin and he's a, he's a genius on multiple levels. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. And, um, now let's talk 
about at the art museum. Uh, EK, how many inches would you give this one? How many inches of rubber nose? <laughs> um, I don't have any personal trauma to work through here. <laughs> <laughs> As an art history major. Yes, as, as an art history, history major, major, I'm going to give it uh, one Mona Lisa nose, which I think is, you know, at least roughly proportional to her face. Um, I I love any sketch that really, any conversation really, that makes art more accessible to people. And this, <laughs> the sketch did a great job of that, just the silliness. Um, so, yeah, one Mona, Lisa, one Mona Lisa nose. All right. Well, that's nice. Um, I give it a Mona Lisa smile. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's terrible. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would give it um, 10 inches uh, of Velasquez and a Laughing Cavalier is nice. what I would do. Um, oh, because uh, like it's it's great. I love how they open it and then how they close it with them walking off stage with the bums following them in different directions. And I'll see you, you know, where I told you I would meet you before. And I, it's a great open and closed piece. I just, it's all around. It's, yeah, so many laughing cavaliers, so many Velasquez, all the Dutch masters. Ten inches. I think I'd give it, I'd give it six inches, I think. <gasps> I, I know I was hung up in the conversation, but um, kind of the, I would have liked them to have gotten bigger with it. I loved where they went at the end, but there was a long section in the middle where mm -hmm. the jokes were funny, but I left something desired for me. What did you all think in Seattle? Um, I would, uh, Give it multiple noses, sort of a Picasso reference. <laughs> 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 Bringing it back to Steve Martin, Cubist who wrote Picasso at, the or Picasso at the La Pageu. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I had my biggest issue with it was I had a hard time understanding the dialect and it took a while <laughs> to get into it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I think I'd need a couple of viewings. So that's why the multiple noses. I'm going to stay consistent. Eight inches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and this may need some explaining because they were really reminded me of uh, Corman and uh, Harvey Corman and Tim Conway. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this really famous bit from the Carol Burnett show where Tim Conway made Vicki Lawrence and Carol Burnett and Harvey Corman just crack up. I think Dick Van Dyke was even in the sketch. Just crack up because of an elephant, elephant. story. So oh. I'm going to give yep. this a Tim Curry's arm length of elephant nose. Oh, nice. High praise. Tim Curry. Nice. Tim Conway. Or Tim Conway. We were there. We were there with you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. A special thanks to our guests, Beth Peterson, Hannah Sherman, and Ben Lawrence, for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. Guys, where can we find you online? Where can we find more about uh, Sketchfest Seattle? When is it? Give us the details. You can find us online at sketchfest.org. You can also find us on Facebook if you search for Sketchfest Seattle. And there you will find all the details for our upcoming spring or spring, our upcoming annual uh, festival, which happens at the Market Theater on September 21st, 22nd, 27th, 28th, and 29th. And again, go to sketchfest.org for all of those details. You guys sound like you're in a radio. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, here's Mike with the weather. <laughs> Listeners, please like, share, and subscribe. If you have a sketch you are interested in us breaking down, please send it to us. We'd love to do that. You can find out more about Sketch Nerds and Bad Medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Seth Alcorn, Elizabeth E.K. Kemp, 
Jess Randazzo, Beth Peterson, Hannah Sherman, and Ben Lawrence. I'm Andy Weld. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.